Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. In the Gun, episode 64, I'm Skylar Callahan, filling in for Wesley Euler and Owen Schmidt, who are not going to be able to join us tonight, but that's okay. We'll have them back later in the week. We're talking expansion today, not conference expansion. We're talking, yes, college football playoff expansion. The uh, If you haven't been out there in the news recently, the, the college football playoff is, again, thinking or considering about changing the format, the, you know, the format that didn't even really get started. So we're going to be talking all about that today. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to get a quick word in here from Bet Online. Uh, BetOnline is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, golf, boxing, and more. BetOnline continues to be the fastest, easiest way to place your wagers, including live and live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website and use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And again, where we start today, college football playoff expansion. Uh, 12 teams was the original idea. They were going to go with the six uh, auto bids going to one of each to the Power Five one to the uh, group of five, and then you have the six at large. Well, now at the Pac-12, essentially not going to be existing here in a matter of days or maybe even hours, uh, that's got to change. So Jed came up with a terrific idea, and actually I'm all on board for this. I've tried to figure out the perfect solution for college football playoff, and I, I got to be honest, I, Jed's got this so detailed. And I, I, I can't find a flaw in it. I really can't. I, mine originally was an 18 playoff. You have the five power five and then the three at large. Obviously, no fifth power five conference now. So that's out the window. And after that, I've struggled to figure out a way until Jed uh, came up with this beautiful idea that he went so in detail with. So Jed, enlighten the people here on your uh, your 16 team playoff format. Yeah, I posted this recently on Twitter and uh, of course, in the last handful of weeks, it's one of those be careful what you ask for. Earlier in the summer, we were kind of hoping news would break before the season started about Colorado. Well, certainly it did. And that was the harbinger of many, many, many more things to come. We don't have a 24-hour news cycle pass without more realignment news. And here we are in yeah. camp already. We should be talking actual on-the-field football. But instead, we're diverted because of all the off-the-field goings-on. So you had the four teams, obviously the two new ones being – Oregon and Washington from the Pac-12 bulked to the Big Ten. Four teams dislodged from, including Colorado, from what remained of the Pac-12 to the Big 12. So as a result of this, the original format that the CFP had discussed when expanding, again, this is the final, come back to 2023, this is the final year for a four-team playoff. Now, you can look at the pros and cons of a four-team playoff. I understand the spirit behind expanding from the old BCS model of two, First of all, college football is a very slow-to-react sport. It took us about 100 years as a sport to finally settle on the notion that one being guaranteed to play against two at the end of the year was a good idea. I mean, when I was growing up, it was like, man, I hope the bowl system works out that one actually plays two, and it's not one versus four and two versus six, and you got to figure it out. So the CFP, or excuse me, the BCS was designed to solve that problem. Now, with it came more problems. So then they expanded beyond the BCS to a four-team playoff. 
And again, I understand the mindset behind it and the motivation for doing so, but really all it's done since 2014 has provided a buffer or a cushion for the powers that be. The same five to seven to eight programs that annually have a realistic shot and can box everybody out, they've, they've turned into super teams with greater depth than any of the dynasties we've seen in the past. So uh, I think the expanding to 12 teams is a good idea. Uh, that is slated to begin in 2024. But now as a result of all this new realignment, because if you remember the original model for the 12 team, four buys for the top four seeds, and those had to be conference champs. So what did that mean, Scholar? That meant that only one SEC team could get a buy, only one Big Ten team could get a buy. I'm not so sure they're going to sit back and take that now, right? So they basically have all the cards. It's their world right now. We're just trying to live in it and clamor to be uh, the third best option. With I think we've done a very good job of doing in many creative ways, and we're going to try and keep climbing that ladder and close that revenue gap. Uh, but you're chasing a moving target. So it's not surprising as a result of that, that there's already talk that the powers that be need to revisit potentially the format for what they had in mind for what would have been a 12-team playoff. So again, let's revisit very quickly what the 12-team was originally supposed to look like and maybe still will, starting in 2024. 2023, the final year of a four-team playoff. Then in 2024, you're going to have a 12-team playoff, okay? Six auto bids tied to conferences. Uh, that's obviously going to change. You talked about the Pac-12 most likely dissolving. Uh, the four at the top, seeds one through four, had to be a conference champ. They get a bye. That leaves seeds five through 12 to play each other in the first round when the first the top four is sitting at home watching. So that meant that first round, those first round games would be played on campus. Five through eight would host nine through 12. To me, that's one of the cooler elements of the whole idea. I like the idea of December football on campus with the stakes that high. I like the idea of Southern teams having to travel to the North. I think that's kind of cool. Okay. Potential matchups that we've only dreamed of. So I figured what better time I've had some of these things in mind for a long time. They're not all just my ideas. I've heard other people talk about some of these things. I just kind of glued them all together. What better time to talk about what needs rectified or fixed or addressed in the game of college football at large than right now with talk of changing the playoff. So I want to get your initial thoughts and then, and then we'll dive into this guy. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the fact that you're, you're getting more teams opportunities, right? I mean, right now this, this current format is only suited as we spoke to, you know, earlier off the, off the air is you're only giving about five or seven, maybe eight schools an opportunity to get a chance at playing for national title. TCU had to hit lightning in a bottle, right? No one yeah. expected this team to come out of nowhere and just take the Big 12 by storm, do what they did, and get to the college football playoff, and still people were doubting them. They won a game, got to the national championship. Absolutely. For, for a school like West Virginia, for example, for that to happen – Again, you're having to ask for lightning in a bottle. You have to ask him for every little single thing to go right. You need the ball to bounce your butt your way. You need depth. You need uh, to be injury-free. You need guys at certain positions to really step up. And that's just a really hard thing to do, especially when you look at the talent differential. Maybe not in the Big 12 now once Oklahoma and Texas depart, but when you look at all the other conferences, 
in the SEC, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, those teams are going to have the top-tier talent. So they're going to have the best chance to get into that college football playoff. But when you give a team like Kentucky, who is good to, for a nine or ten win season every now and then, yeah, you got to give them an opportunity. And I, I think this this format that you're coming up with will give them that opportunity, especially with the way this is set up now. West Virginia has almost no chance, especially because of the schedules. There's the, the non-conference schedule. You're almost guaranteeing a loss before you even get into conference play. So mm -hmm. I think this is a tough road for, for West Virginia, for some of these other non-traditional blue blood schools, but I love this, this 16 team format. Here's where you're onto something, Skylar. The, the, the key word is access, right? Yes. And basically you boxed out access in the lion's share of not just FBS teams, but power five teams. Uh, because I would argue, I mean, you said it's lightning in a bottle when you're right, but in the age of NIL and the portal, the game was reinvented in 2020. This is college football 2.0. I mean, college football 1.0 was Rutgers, Princeton from 1869 up through 2020. College football 1.0 is over. This is a new sport. The NIL landscape changed it. The portal changed it. You now, if you're a non-blue blood to get into a four-team playoff like TCU, you might need two lightning strikes in one bottle. Yeah. So the fact that you're expanding to 12, Rick Neuheisel, on ESPNU has done a great job of addressing some of this. He's talked about the fact that, look, if you can expand beyond those five, six, seven, eight programs that are the regulars, because all the top tier recruits, all the top tier talent, they migrate toward the opportunities to play on the biggest stages for the grandest prizes. And that's limited to a handful of programs. So case in point, you're sitting there covering the Carolina Panthers, whose rookie quarterback was drafted number one overall, who was the starter at Alabama. Where's he from? He's from California. He's from California. C.J. Stroud, number two pick in the NFL draft, starting quarterback last year for Ohio State, was right there up to the 11th hour in the Heisman conversation. Where's C.J. Stroud from starting at Ohio State? Yeah. He's from California. Yeah. Okay? So these kids jet all over the country to the same half dozen or so locations to get these opportunities. Expanding the 12 teams means you're – expanding the opportunity for a couple dozen or more schools. So now, not only would a C.J. Stroud or a Bryce Young potentially stay home at USC, but you might have a situation where they're gaining a kid, but Alabama's also losing a kid. Now, Alabama's going to be Alabama. Right. Ohio State's going to be Ohio State. They're still going to be the top tier. That's the way it's going to be. But I, I would argue this. The portal has changed things in the sense, and I've said this many times, it wasn't that long ago that Alabama, even the Blue Bloods are impacted by the portal, just not in the same way that the non-Blue Bloods are. It wasn't that long that Alabama won a national championship by beating Georgia. And how'd they do it? At halftime, Nick Saban's five-star quarterback, Jalen Hurts, was struggling. Yeah. So he tapped his five-star backup on the shoulder and uh -huh. said, hey, Mr. Tua, who could start for 130 other teams, but just happens to be my backup. Can you get in there and win this game for us? So the other five-star, because you can get all the five-stars when there's only half a dozen teams going to the playoffs, right? And you can't have access to the portal and NIL opportunities. Well, now let's, let's go from Alabama winning a national title with depth unlike we've ever seen to last year. Jimbo, who's my guy, okay? His Aggies limped into Tuscaloosa. 
Okay. I mean, they were struggling to play dead in the Western at the time. And they came a play away from shocking Alabama. Why? Bryce Young was hurt. Okay. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they didn't have Tua as their number two. They had a kid who turned the football over three times because now Tua wouldn't be in the NIL age with the portal. He wouldn't be willing to sit behind Bryce Young and wait his turn when he could be making money starting somewhere else. So it's a fact that Alabama as well. But what might happen is you might have some of these kids regionally stay closer to home. And so what I've done is I said, hey, if 12 is great, 16 is better, but you got to have a sweet spot. You, you can't have so many teams that it truly does dilute the regular season product. Now, I think with, with 12 or even 16, it wouldn't dilute it because you would be clamoring, you'll see in my model, throughout the month of November, you'll have more meaningful football games as these teams battle each other for seeding and home field advantage. Whereas right now, as things wind down toward the end of November, you might have 60 college football games, but how many of them actually matter? How many actually have, of them have actually have ramifications on the potential national title landscape? Half a dozen? Well, if, now you're going to have several because these teams are trying to basically outpace each other and win these November games to get seeding. So I start with this. I like a 16-team format. I do have auto bids built, built into it, and then I have at-large bids built, built into it. Now, this is under the assumption, look, there's probably not going to be a Pac-12, okay? So I'm, I'm taking that leap. We can revisit things if there is. If they find a way to survive, more power to them. But this is under the assumption there's not. Now, off the top, this might upset some people and online when I put it on Twitter. Some people were upset. I'm going to say four automatic bids for the top four seeds in the Big Ten. Okay? Out of 16 teams. Here's how I'm breaking this down. Now, I'm going to go on the playoff committee's rankings. You'll see later when I give you some examples of how this would have unfolded over the course of the last five seasons. I used the CFP committee's rankings to seed these teams. So let's start with four auto bids for the top four seeds in the Big Ten. Four auto bids for the top uh, uh, four teams in the SEC. Now, Big 12, two automatic bids. ACC, two automatic bids. Now, some people have said, how dare you seed ground and admit that our position is secondary to theirs? I'm like, look, the reality of it is you want to open this thing up to one auto bid per conference and the rest at large. See how that works out for the Big 12. I mean, what I want to do, is, I don't care how many Big Ten or SEC teams are in it. I only care that Big 12 members have reasonable access. And if you have two teams out of a 16-team league, you'll see many times there'll be more than two teams go from the Big 12. Okay? But that's a good starting point. Same with the ACC. Two auto bids for the ACC. So now out of a 16-team format, four auto Big Ten, four auto SEC, that puts you at eight. Two to the Big 12 puts you at 10. Two to the ACC puts you at 12. As long as we have reasonable access, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that we have more leverage than we actually do and take our ball and go home if we don't all have the same number of bids. Now, if you want to argue it's 3-2, what I don't care. As long as we have reasonable access. I'm not concerned with the other leagues. I'm concerned with our access. It doesn't have to be equal to be reasonable because you can play your way in otherwise. That leaves you, okay, you're sitting right now uh, four Big Ten, four SEC, two Big 12, two ACC. Okay? So how many does that put you at? That puts you right there at 12. So now I want to go one auto bid to the top group of five teams. And again, I'm not talking about putting together some G5 tournament. I'm going to go based on the committee's rankings. Whichever G5 team, at the, when the smoke clears, 
is ranked highest, whether they're 18th or fourth, they're going to get an auto bid. And then they'll be seated accordingly, okay, out of, out of the 16 teams. That leaves you with three, okay? So you now have three at-large bids that that's going to be the fun of this. And what I say to Notre Dame is take this broken bull, pull stick with gratitude. <laughs> Joker broke the pull stick in, in the dark night over his knee yeah. and said, make it fast. Uh, we have room for aggressive expansion. Well, you can battle your way in for those three at large. I don't care if it's Notre Dame. I don't care if it's in the Big 12. I don't care if it's in the ACC, SEC. I, I don't care what it is. I just want to have more opportunities than what's locked in by virtue of your conference. And that does that. That grants access. Again, we keep going back to that, 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 that key word. Now, the top four seeds, here's the part that I'm going to keep with the 12-team formats. They're not going to get a buy, but they do have to be conference champs. So if you're seated one through four, you have to win a conference. Now, what's that mean? That means the Big Ten and the SEC. See how I'm kind of meeting them halfway? Only one Big Ten team, only one SEC team can make their way into that top four. So that doesn't mean they can't get in elsewhere. Now, the first two rounds in a 16-team playoff, the first two rounds, not one, and the 12-team that currently exists for 24, they're talking about the first round on campus. I'm going to go the first two rounds on campus. Okay. And, you know, typical NFL style with that two rounds. So you're going to have the higher surviving seed continue to host. Now let's, let's break the numbers down. You start with 16 first round on campus after round one, you're now down to eight. Now you have round two on campus. Now you're down to four. Now here's where it starts to get fun. You take those four teams and you create a college football final four, which will be played in one venue with teams on location for 10 plus days two games okay are going to be played by two of these teams so you're going to have two semifinal games played like on one weekend so this gives the teams the final four teams all sent to the same location that gives them time to get in town for two or three days play a game have a week to play get ready to play the next game and there you go so that's what i would do with my final four and it would be interesting to see how plan or fans would plan around that i mean you could plan you know, the, the dream vacation of a lifetime by gambling oh, to buy man. tickets for all those games, or maybe some fans would hedge their bets and wait to see if their team won the first round and got to the title game and come in later. But either way, you're going to be creating this huge event for whatever venue wins this bidding war. It's going to be like part college uh, basketball final four, part Super Bowl. It's going to be a tournament with the four top teams in college football spending the better part of a week to 10 days in town at one location at one bowl venue, okay? The winning bid gets to host this each year. You reopen the bids each year to see if that changes. Okay, now, here's another thing I'd get to. I would take, we, let, let's just admit it, the, the current structure of the college football bowl season is antiquated. I mean, it was invented for a day gone by. I mean, back in the days when bowls started, it was kind of a treat they for meant- Northern teams to take their fan bases and give them an opportunity to travel to southern destinations to these exotic venues and it was a reward for their season they were exhibition games it's changed because first it's become diluted there's too many of them okay they don't have the meaning that they once did so what i would do is i'm not going to fire these bowl committees and get rid of all these bowls i'm not going to do that what i'm going to do is i'm going to take these bowl committees and the vast majority of the current bowls not all of them You'll hear later, I'm going to reserve some of them, the, the, the key big ones, 
at least a handful of them that bid the highest will remain in December and January and be part of this. The rest of them, I'm going to take, for instance, let's talk about the pinstripe bowl in New York at Yankee Stadium. Okay, well, everybody remembers 7-5 West Virginia in 2012, 5-5 Syracuse. It's spitting wet snow sideways. I mean, I'm on the sidelines getting drenched, right? So I, I think of these bowls. Like, I think of the heart of Dallas Bowl. It's the day after Christmas or two days after Nobody's Christmas. There. We're, we're in the Cotton Bowl. I remember, of course, Will was hurt. He had the hand injury. And so I'm walking down the tunnel with Dana and Will and the state troopers. And I'm talking to Will about these new boots that he got, some high brand, highbrow boot. And we come down the tunnel to, to go onto the field to start the game. And I look out. I thought I was like at the, at the Mohawk Bowl. In <laughs> and I'm like, nothing. that's not a knock on the Mohawk Bowl. I've been to a lot of Mohawk Bowls and I loved it. But I, I'm looking at like 4,000 Utah fans behind their bench, 4,000 Mountaineer fans, in, in an 80,000-seat Cotton Bowl. I'm like, it's spitting snow sideways. I'm like, maybe it was too much to ask people to travel on Christmas Day to come to this because they, they don't seem real interested. So I'm like, there has to be a better way. So again, back to our pinstripe bowl example. Don't fire the pinstripe bowl. Reassign the pinstripe bowl. Instead of the pinstripe bowl and the, the last handful of days in the year in wet and cold New York, how about we have the pinstripe kickoff classic? Not against with a seven and five West Virginia, seven and five Syracuse, both teams starting their season with all the hopes in the world. They haven't even had to punch it. So the fan bases are both wildly excited. Take these bowls and do that with the vast majority of them. So you reassign them, reassign them. And what you're going to do is you're going to take two weekends. You're going to take what currently is week zero right now, leading into Labor Day weekend. And you're going to populate those two weekends with these really cool non-conference matchups to start your season. They're not going to be six and six or seven and five. It's going to be the first game for all these teams. And here's what I like about it. It would be a two-week, two-weekend event that would give college football an opportunity to dominate the airtime, the airwaves, before the NFL starts. It's the week before the NFL starts. So it could put you in position to have the grandest opening to any season of any sport. So that's what I like about it. Now, another thing that I like about it is these player opt-outs, why would they opt out of the season opener? Of course, some yeah, might opt out the entire point. season. But So you have all these kids opting out. The example I use is Christian McCaffrey, okay, a kid of high integrity. I don't know if you could say a bad word about him. Uh, remember, he opted out. When he's at Stanford, he opted out of the Hyundai Sun Bowl against North Carolina. He, well, he started it. What's that? Yeah, he kind of started. Know. He was one of the early ones. That's right. So I'd say this. Are you going to expect Christian McCaffrey to opt out of the Hyundai Sun kickoff classic against no. North Carolina? No. He's going to play, which means that brings more value to the bowl committee who's trying to, to maximize the value in their game. So that would have to make it appealing on that level to them. So that that's how I would solve that part of it. Now, let's jump into the next step. Beyond the 16 teams that are playing for all the marbles in December, through December into early January, what I would also do is I want to grant access to some additional teams, those that were on the fringe but couldn't quite make the cut to the 16 teams. Now, why would I want to do that? Well, first of all, I want to involve more bowls than just that championship venue, the national championship venue, okay? 
but also you need TV inventory. We've all gotten so spoiled and used to watching these crazy bowls in December. I still want some of that. I want extra college football games at some point through December that have no bearing on the national championship. That's just, that's what we're used to. I don't completely want that to go away. So what I would do is this, I would take the 16 next best teams, again, ranked by the committee, 17 through 32. I would put them in a 16 team. Basically, you can name it what you want, but it will be the, the football version of the National Invitation Tournament, right? The, the football NIT. Now, the question is, well, how do you make that enticing enough for the 16 schools involved to actually want to commit their resources, you know, put, put you know, their health at risk, all the things that might go south in postseason games? Well, start with this. You take the top two teams, in other words, the two teams that advance to the championship of this NIT tournament. And what you do is the sponsor of this NIT tournament tied into it is an NIL gift for those two teams, a financial gift used exclusively toward the NIL. In other words, whatever trust is directly associated, whatever primary trust is associated with the two schools that land in an NIT championship, they both get this big cut of cash. Now, I don't care if it's a hundred grand for the winner, 50 grand for the loser, however that plays out. But, but you want to incentivize it. You figure out what the magic number is, hit the sweet spot to dangle that carrot, okay? I don't know what that number is. I'm not going to pretend to, but you see where I'm going with that. Put a financial gift at the end. Now, you could even incentivize it. You could say, hey, the school's going to use this to reinvent reinvest itself and be more fortified going into next year. Yeah, we were in the NIT this year. But if we win this NIT, we're just a couple steps away from being a playoff team. Maybe we can take this cash and acquire a couple of those key players, or for that matter, if you do have one or two key players who are going to opt out, maybe tie it to that, incentivize them. Hey, if we win this game, you get this, if you take part in it, however you want to play it. But I like the opportunity of doing that. Now, here's the other thing about it. Uh, The overall winner of this NIT championship, if you win this 16-team tournament, here's something else you're rewarded with. You open the season the following year, hosting the national champion. That's awesome. I, I don't care if Boise gets into the NIT yeah. and finds a way to get hot and win it. They might be hosting Alabama to start the next year. That's part of it. Now, you might be asking, okay, well, that's great. But what if Ole Miss gets into the NIT and they win it and Georgia wins the national championship? That kind of screw, screws things up because it's SEC. It's fair enough. What you're going to do is you're either going to host the national champion or – if you're already in the conference with that national champion, it's part of your conference schedule, you're going to host the highest ranked team in the final playoff committee standings that's not in your conference. So one way or the other, we're going to reward you with an incredibly high-profile game against a premium opponent on your own turf in front of your own fans. Now, this will be independent from those bowls that we talked about. This won't be a neutral site bowl. This will be an actually on-campus game to start your year. That's part of your reward for winning the NIT. So reward number one for winning the NIT, you get cash in the form of NIL gifts, okay? Reward number two, you host the national champion or the highest-ranked team that's not your conference, okay? Now, I've talked about there's no auto bids in the 16-team NIT. It's just 17 through 32. However, they fall as per the committee. But I am going to include one auto bid. And this is just the college football fan in me. I had to scratch myself where I itch. So you know who gets the auto bid in the NIT every year? The winner of the Commander-in-Chief's trophy. Okay? 
So you take that triangular series between Army, Navy, and Air Force. I don't know if everybody knows this, but they they can actually win a trophy based on who fared best among those three schools pitted against each other. The winner of that trophy gets the auto bid to the NIT. I love it. How about it? So now that's a nightmare for these other schools. And I'll tell you who's going to hate it. The other NIT tournament coaches, because they might get tasked like we were in the Liberty Bowl with trying to prepare for that Army triple option. It's it's nightmarish, okay? But nothing's more college football than watching the service academies chew clock with triple option. Now, just imagine that in an NIT tournament in December. That is just, they're built for it, right? So that's so cool. Okay, so moving on, the final thing I'll say about this NIT tournament. Here's how it's going to be structured. 16 teams in the NIT. So round one on campus. So after round one, you now have eight teams remaining. You break those eight eight teams simply into two pods of four. Now, I talked about one venue wins the opportunity to host the national championship final four. Let's say that's the Rose Bowl. Let's say they outbid everybody. And this is a year where the Rose Bowl is hosting the final four and the national championship game. Okay. So you have the next two highest bidders. This is open to all bidders. Maybe it's the Orange Bowl and maybe it's the Fiesta Bowl, whoever it might be. Maybe it's the Peach Bowl, the Cotton Bowl. I don't really care. Okay. So you take these two pods of four with the eight teams remaining, 16 teams in the NIT, first round on campus, boom, after after round one, you're down to eight teams, split them into two pods of four. Now, you're going to have four teams fight for a mini tournament on site at the Orange Bowl or on site at the Fiesta. You're going to have two tournaments going on with these four teams at the same time, okay, until somebody wins that pod of four. You see what I'm saying? So let's say the Orange Bowl is hosting one of those pods of four. So it's going to start with two games, okay? And, and you're going to whittle your way down until you have one team left standing in that pod. And the winner of pod one is going to play the winner of pod two for the NIT championship game. Now, here's the other thing I'm going to do. I'm going to take the NIT championship game and guess where and when it's played. Oof. It is played on the same site as the national championship the night before the national championship. So, in other words, a ton of eyeballs watching that game. So, you're an opportunity for your program to gain another high-profile game and let everybody see it. So, everybody knows what's at stake here. This NIL money, oh, boy, we're going to host one of these teams that's playing the game after us tomorrow night next year if we win this. I mean, think about what the fan bases will be. It'd be so cool to watch that. So, again, let's say it's the Rose Bowl. So you have the final four at the Rose Bowl over the course of 10 days. So you might have a Friday, Saturday semifinal at the Rose Bowl. Fast forward to the next week. Now you're waiting for the championship game Saturday night, Monday night, whenever you want to do it. Well, the night before that, into town come three days prior, whatever, into town come the two teams to square off for the NIT championship game. So another thing you did, whoever won that bid to host the national championship, it spices that that destination, that site, and that venue up even more. Because now if you're a fan in town to watch your team in the Final Four, you just got an extra really cool college football game that you can attend at the same stadium the night before. So yeah. that's one more thing that I would do. Play that game on the eve of the title, okay? So the plot lines would be so interesting, so captivating. What this would do is you'd have a 16-team 
college football playoff, the national championship, a 16-team NIT. You've now reduced down. You have three bowls involved playing multiple games at those bowls, but now it's three bowls. All the other bowls are reassigned to these early kickoff classics to start the season. Now, bear in mind, there'll be a pecking order there because there'll be bids, TV contracts. So some of those kickoff classes will obviously be more marquee than the others, just like the bowls are. Some of the bowls are more marquee than others. Same way. So you have each year three bowl sites, highest bids, hosting these three tournaments, two for the NIT and one for the National Championship, the Final Four. So the all of a sudden, don't look now, but an element, at least an element of prestige has returned to the college football postseason. Instead of being watered down with 70-plus teams, some of them six and seven going to the postseason, it now means something once again to be one of those 32 teams that advance to play any football after the regular season is over. So that's what you're looking at. Only three bowl venues. Uh, and finally, the only the cherry on top I'd add here, I think that, in other words, when you compare college football to the pro model, college football is its own thing, but it has shortcomings. What I don't like is when you don't go to a bowl, you miss 15 key practice opportunities for your young kids as much as anything. It's, it's more of a development opportunity for your young kids. But you miss 15 practice opportunities in December that you don't get if you don't go to a bowl game. I hate that that deficit has always existed. So it's almost like the haves keep having more. Oh, you didn't go to a bowl. You weren't good enough. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to give everybody else 15 extra practices and you don't get them. How does that create any element of parity? It doesn't. So what I would at least do is I would say, all right, if you didn't qualify for a postseason game and you're trying to find a way to turn the corner, I'm going to give you every opportunity to do so. I'm going to give you, grant you 10 practice opportunities that you can use at any point from the end of the regular season all the way to the end of spring ball. So you're going to get all the other practices in the spring, the 15 practices in the spring that everybody else gets, including the bowl teams. But if you want to save all 10 of your practices and use them in January or spring, get 20 practices at a fit, or if you want to use them right after the regular season ends, it's not a full 15, but it's something. It's 10 extra practice sessions. Again, if you want to design it for developing your youth, which oftentimes you do with these bowl opportunities or practice opportunities for bowl game, have at it. Coaches can get creative with how they use it. Maybe they want to eye like, hey, we're going to get some kids in the portal. Wait until we get those kids here on campus and we'll save the practices for that. Or if you want to use them right now to develop your talent, however you want to do it. So at least it cuts in to some extent to help mitigate or marginalize that deficit from a practice opportunity standpoint. And again, I, I view this as a, a step toward a very imperfect solution to an even more imperfect problem. People might complain about, hey, four auto bids for the Big Ten and the SEC. Don't get caught up on that. It's We don't live in the same world. I just want to guarantee reasonable access for the Big 12. And there is no guarantee moving forward for much of anything. No. So if you can get everybody to come on board, like like here's what we've talked about. Now we're getting off topic with this, Skylar, but, but I'll wrap things up with this. I've seen estimates, and I mentioned this on previous episodes of the podcast. I've seen estimates that College football might be leaving as much as here, – here's some raw numbers for you. The NFL, with 32 teams, generates from their with their media partners in the ballpark of $10 billion with a B dollars a year. College football, with 130 teams, P5 in the mid-60s, generates between three, three and a half. It's like low threes. And the billions, that's a lot of money. 
really a third of the NFL? I mean, to me, I have to believe. I've seen estimates college football is leaving. The way they negotiate as independent conferences instead of collectively as one unit, they could be leaving between three and four and a half billion dollars on the table. Now, the SEC's beating its chest. The Big Ten's beating its chest because they're big fish in a smaller pond. But I go back to when Pete Rozelle was the commissioner in the early days of his his uh, you know term as the commissioner in the NFL back in the 60s. This predates me, predates you by a long shot. The toughest thing he had to do was go sit down with the Bears and sit down with the Giants and sit down with these large market teams and say, here's what I need you to do. I need you to move away from these individual one-off deals you have with the TV networks. Give that up. Trust me to speak with one voice and one vision and represent us on one unified front. It gives us more leverage. I'll maximize the money we can make. And don't look now, but as I just touched on, the NFL is at $10 billion. And I saw an estimate today that uh, Roger Goodell wants to have that to $25 billion by 2027. Never underestimate the NFL. So college football, by doing this with the Big Ten and its own TV contract, the SEC and its own big uh, TV contract, the Big 12, on down the line, that's great. And you're clamoring for every scrap you can get and every dollar and every cent that you can get. But I have to believe there has to be a way that you you can come together because right now all the advantages go to the media partners. The TV partners have all the advantages. I mean, they can pit us against each other. I, I tell you, when you hear these two words mainstreamed in college football, I truly believe that these are the two words that could that could be our salvation and lead us to a brighter day where we can get back to some regionalization, some regional rivalries, plus make all the money in the world. And those two words are football commissioner. Oh, let's go three words. College football commissioner or czar, whatever you want to call it. If you have if you have one person, one guy or one gal sitting in that seat representing the interests of college football as one unit, whether it's power five, whatever it might be, as opposed to fragmenting the product and getting us to battle each other over these TV contracts and these time slots. That could be a step in the right direction. I don't know if that'll ever happen. If it does, I don't know when, but that's the kind of way I view this. But right now, the key word is access. And if you grant me or guarantee me not just access, but reasonable access for the Big 12, I'll sign up. And you have in front of you, Skylar, I mapped out what this would have looked like. If you applied what I just said with a 16-team format based on seating, by the CFP committee over the last five years, guaranteeing four auto bids to the big 10, four to the SEC, two to the big 12, two to the ACC. And then the at-larges I talked about and, and one G five. Here's what it would have looked like. I'll give you the, the, the total raw numbers. And then we'll look at some of the more interesting aspects of the matchups and things like that. Remember round one and round two are on campus. So uh, here's overall, you're talking over a five-year span from 2018 to 2022. Had there been a 16-team playoff format, there would have been 80 playoff spots. So we're working from an overall number of 80. Now, guaranteeing the SCC and the Big Ten four, okay, that means that they start off with 20. So in other words, you'd have to ask yourself, well, was it really 18 and only because of the guarantees did they get to 20 or did they get higher than 20? Because if they got higher than 20, forget about the four guarantees. They're there anyway, as we talked about. 
Right. If you make everything at large, the seeding itself is guaranteeing them more than four. I'm just concerned about the Big 12's guarantee. So here's how the numbers would have worked. Five years, 80 total playoff spots. The SEC would have led the way with 24 of the 80. That's an average of 4.8 per year. That's 30% of the overall spots. So you're guaranteeing them 20. So the guarantee doesn't even matter. Without a guarantee, they're at 24. Forget the guarantee. They're already at 24. The only thing you're doing is at least locking in your guarantee, too. You see? Now, number two would have been the Big Ten with 21 spots, averaging 4.2 teams per year. That's 26%. Number three, now you guaranteed the Big 12 10 spots, two a year for five years, from 2018 to 2022. The Big 12 would have actually got 14 teams. Some years we'd had more than two, as we talked about. You can play your, you're guaranteed two. So you never have to worry about slipping below that. But there's also years you're going to have three or four, as you'll see. So we average 2.8. Now, here's where it gets interesting. You want to talk about some element of charity. How many is the ACC guaranteed a year in my model? Two. Two, yeah. So two guarantees over five years is 10 spots, right? Yep. Guess how many spots they would have received. From 2018 to 2022. 10? 10 and only 10. See what yeah. I'm saying? You're guaranteeing access here. So the SEC is not at six because they're guaranteed 10. So that's how you got to look at this. The SEC is over 20 because they don't need to guarantee. They'd be there anyway, no matter what you're guaranteeing. The only right. thing the guarantee is, is an olive branch. To say, hey, we're all in this together. Meet us halfway and guarantee us some reasonable access too. And we're happy to give you that. So yeah. now yeah. other G5, first of all, would have been stuck with their one guarantee. They averaged one a year. They would have got to five, which is interesting when you look at the matchups. But other, most of the other is Notre Dame. But again, Notre Dame's not a top four seed because they're not in a conference. I don't count conference NBC. Okay. <laughs> so they're not going to get the top four seed. So the chances are in the second round, they might be on the road if they win. But you had six other, a couple weren't Notre Dame. There were actually some others sprinkling in. But West Virginia in this five-year model, uh, of course, the first thing you jump to is the Will Greer senior year. We actually, despite losing to Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, we still would have landed at 14 in a 16-team playoff that would have, in 2018, put us on the road in the opening round at Ohio State, who was the number three seed. Okay, so, like, look last year. In 2022, you would have had, based on my model, again, you're guaranteed four for those two conferences, two for the other two conferences, and then whoever earns the at-large gets the at-large. The Big Ten would have ended up with five. The SEC would have ended up with four. The Big 12 would have ended up with three. They're guaranteed plus another. The ACC, only their two. Group of five, one, and the other one. Let's go to previous years. Big Ten, four. SEC, four. Big 12, four. That's 2021. Based on my model, you'd have had Big Ten with four, SEC with four, Big 12 with four. Now, again, what I'm doing by doing this, I'm counting what the conference layout of 2024 will be. So Utah counts as a Big 12. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'm looking at the 2024 realignment model when I run these numbers. So 2021 with the teams in 2024's Big 12 would have had four, four teams in. The ACC, again, only two. There's not a year that the ACC would have had more than two, but there are a couple years that the Big 12 would have had more than two. 
now, the most that any conference got in one year, and if you're thinking this is excessive, let me explain. I mentioned this to you today. If you go back to 2019, the SEC would have had six. That's the only time in the last five years we've had six. Now, if you're thinking that's way too many for the SEC, guess who the sixth-seeded SEC team that you're letting in, who, oh, by the way, that year would have been the 13th seed in the playoffs, and they would open the playoffs at Memphis. <laughs> Okay, how fun's that? Roll time. Who's 12 and 1? Alabama was 10 and 2, and they were the sixth SEC seed. So it's not like you're putting an incredibly watered down product in here. That's an exceptional one off. And I would argue I'll entertain that possibility. If you're coming to me with Alabama at 10 and 2, let's talk about that. Yeah. You know, you can get into who they beat or who they didn't, but you're not talking about a nine and three Mississippi state team. I mean, you're talking about a 10 and two Alabama team as it. So again, reasonable access to me carries the day. And that's why I like this notion. And that's why I approached this the way that I did. It's not going to be for everybody. It's not perfect. Obviously it's far from perfect, but that's just the kind of way I, I view things. And I try to take the playoff with all the other problems, the bowl teams, the opt out, the bowl games, the opt outs, all these things and kind of merge them into one larger solution to incentivize things at every level in different ways. And that's what I landed on. I love that, that term reasonable access and, and really reasonable access. Speaking of which, if you want reasonable access to a car, go on down to our friends at Toothpick uh, down there at Grafton where cars cost less. Uh, Jed, uh, moving on to more of this stuff. When you, when you look at, the college football playoff and going to your format. Yeah. You look at the new Big 12 and what that looks like. We talked about it before we started recording. West Virginia, if you haven't looked it up yet, is the winningest program of all time in this new Big 12. So, and you're talking about two guaranteed spots. Now, again, I know that the, the trend has not been there over the last few years, and it's been quite a while since West Virginia's won a lot of ball games, but – there is a true path for West Virginia to yes. get to yes. this college football playoff. Yes. And yeah, I, you, you recalibrate. In other words, as we talked about earlier in the show, we're in college football 2.0. This isn't 1.0. So don't give me the ways that West Virginia won in 1.0 by bringing kids in and developing blue ch or, you know, kids with a chip on their shoulder over the course of five years. That's harder to do because the kids don't stay. So what you have to do is recalibrate. And, and you're trying to regain your balance. And with Country Roads Trust stabilizing things to some extent, you've seen the hemorrhaging not be nearly as bad as it was in the early days of the portal, in the early days of NIL. So we're, we're trying over the course of time to streamline that and get our heads wrapped around it. But we need to find a path in college football 2.0. I mean, can you imagine after the Sugar Bowl when Steve Slayton ran for 200-plus yards as a true freshman, broke Tony Dorsett's Sugar Bowl rushing record, the money Steve Slayton would have demanded on the open market and what oh, it would have gosh. taken to keep that roster together, that was college football 1.0. You don't have to worry about that. But in college football 2.0, there's you have answers. consideration. you got to have answers. And so we have to come up with those answers. And so far we haven't, but we're trying to work towards that. So – yeah. From an access standpoint, I agree with you. If you find a way to stabilize things and get some of those answers that we haven't hit yet in 2.0, you have some element of reasonable access, just as you've seen 
from other programs in the Big 12. So that's what I like. And, I, and I'll double back to this. One final thing I'll say about the 16. When you talk about reallocating or changing the bowl structure to put them early in the year instead of late, I'm not the first person to say that. I mean, many people oh, have said yeah. that for years. I'm just kind of taking parts of different ideas and throwing them all together. It's not like I just sat down here in my basement and came up with that. I'd never heard it before. <laughs> that's not the case at all. But, but the, yeah, from an access standpoint, I would have to agree with you. When pitted against the 16 teams in a very deep, because in other words, when you compare the Big 12 to the Big 10 or the SEC, I would say the Big Ten and the SEC, when you just look at draft picks and things of that nature, they're, they're, they're more top-heavy by a wide stretch. I mean, nobody's going to argue that maybe some of the premium teams in college football happen to populate those two conferences. But from a competitive depth standpoint, I'd put ours against anybody's. Because when you get past those premium teams, in the Big 12, it's still literally a battle, especially now that Kansas has turned the corner. It's literally now a battle. Who knows what's going to happen with Dion at Colorado, but you don't know what you're in for week to week. There's no layups. There's no taking people for granted. No. Uh, I mean, when you look at like Michigan, for instance, when I saw Harbaugh was suspended potentially for four games, he's appealing that. First thing I noticed was the four game schedule. And I'm like, the hardest game on that schedule is Rutgers. I'm like, <laughs> we don't have that. You know, we have depth in this league. So I'd put our depth against anybody's. They might be top heavy, but we got depth. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Also, a uh, quick thank you to GoMart here to uh, here to keep you going. Make sure you're signing up for your GoMart rewards. And Jed, uh, one more thing I wanted to touch on is with all this stuff going on with conference realignment, I think you brought something up earlier that that really kind of hit home with me. I mean, it's, it's about the dollar figures and all that stuff. This is where college athletics is going to. It's all about revenue, TV deals, all that stuff. You're taking regionality out of this. And I guarantee you within, I, I wouldn't even say five years, probably less than that, you're going to see a significant decline in fan interest across yep. the board of every single college sport because you're not seeing – Oregon and Oregon State or Oregon and USC playing each other. Actually, yeah, you would in the Big Ten, but Oregon and Arizona. You know what I mean? You're, you're not getting those regional games that you once were. West Virginia's been dealing with it for a decade. So how, yes. how, how do you even think that the NCAA or all these commissioners, can they, can they regain the fan interest? I, I'll say this. I saw an interesting quote by Josh Pate. Uh, and Josh Pate, who's very well connected with some of the, the decision makers in college sports and at the, you know, the, the networks and the, and the TV side. For yeah. the first time, he's heard them express concern because of some of the backlash over the Oregon-Washington news. They thought it would all just go so, so well and it would be a, be a coup and it would only be positive. That's not the case. They've once again seen the erosion of one more element of regional appeal. And people don't go for this and the huge doses that we've been forced to receive it. Uh, I heard Jeff Schwartz from Oregon, great commentator. I heard him talking today, and, and he said, look, what you're missing when you break up these regional rivals and you split these teams apart, you're, you're missing the scar tissue that makes college football what it is. Great point. You think about it. You, you not only know your rivals, but you know – think back to our days in the Big East, okay? I mean, we knew how 
Boston College and Syracuse did against certain teams in the 70s and 80s. Not against us, but against other teams. There was a familiarity there, not just with our games against these teams, but because there was a history, you knew how they did against other teams. And that that takes time. And you can't start from scratch and develop that immediately. Like, we know a lot more about Oklahoma State and TCU and Texas Tech than we ever did. But it's limited to a 10-year window, right? Because that's when our interest really started getting ratcheted up in those programs. We can't tell you to a large extent. Like, like some of the old Big East mates were able to tell us they could look at West Virginia and knew that we reveled in our success about the 88 season, the 93 season, the 05 season. They, they knew this. Our yeah. other fan bases in the conference knew this because we had a history with them and they remembered it and they experienced it and they lived through it and they were jealous of it. Just like we were jealous of some of the things they did. We remembered it. But when you start from scratch and start anew, you, you're going to be missing that. It takes a lot of time to develop that. And it wasn't until recently that I finally heard somebody saying, maybe it was in conjunction with what Josh Pate said, the decision makers for the first time showed some level of concern over this latest wave of change. I heard that in five to eight or 10 years, again, most of these TV deals, deals, media deals, they only last another five or six years outside of the ACCs, which is through 2036 and sanity. But so I have to think there's going to be significant change happen again. And I heard suggestions from people that might know that maybe at long last, some of that change will pivot back to the regional side of things. Uh, And if in fact that happens, if you can make the big money, and welcome back some of the regionality of the product that made it so unique and made it different from the NFL. Uh, that would be a, a wonderful thing, and that's what we got to hope for. Yeah, I mean, I, I've heard some crazy off the wall stuff, and I, me, I would prefer that because you get that regionality back. But I've also heard that the, and I'm sure you've seen this suggestion too, where you do the overseas soccer thing, where you do the different tiers, and depending on Relegation. how. Yeah, I, I'm not. I, I, in a way, I like it because you, you're you're wasting or not wasting. You're, you're spending a lot of money on programs like Rutgers and Vanderbilt and so on and so forth that just are never going to make you any money. But in a way, it's 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 got a lot of flaws, too. So, um, but yeah, we're well, going to reach a point when we talk about this keyword access that on, on a federal level, lawmakers are going to are going to get involved because they're constituents. You're you're oh. going to have large fan bases clamoring to their reps in Washington. Uh, you can't leave us out of this. Do something about it. Rattle whatever cages need rattled. Threaten them with antitrust. Whatever you got to do. So, I, I without getting into a larger discussion, we'll cover on other episodes. I, I I think that one of the things that needs to happen before you see significant change is. The, the voice of the players, the voice of the athletes needs to unify and, and, and Absolutely. somehow put the, I, I don't mean unionize. I'm not saying that. I, I don't know what, yeah. you're doing, but I just know that there needs to be some form of collective bargaining. And because everybody's terrified of antitrust litigation, it's not going to be forced. There's only two parties here. There's the players and the others, and it's not going to be brought on by the others because they're terrified. That nine nothing decision by the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court can't agree that the sky's blue. They'd rule five four on the sky being blue or not, but they <laughs> rule nine nothing that you can no longer treat college athletes this way. Yeah. So that woke everybody up. So the players and the athletes, on some level, need to come together and collectively bargain for what they want, what they need, what they'll get, and when that happens, 
then we can start working towards some element of guardrail, some sort of solution, some sort of solution. Uh, but we're a long way from that. Yeah. Everything's happening faster. It's, it is. There's a lot of movement happening right now as we speak, uh, the ACC and all that stuff. So we'll, we'll get into more of that here uh, in a little bit. But one final thank you to Fortis for Roof Performance and Financial Security Guarantee. Make sure to visit fortis.us.com. Uh, Jed and I, uh, that again, that'll wrap it up for us today. But Owen and Wesley Euler will be back uh, here in a few days as they get breaking into West Virginia fall camp offensive preview uh, for the signal caller, Jed Owen. Jed, oh my gosh, I'm about to combine your names. Jed Drenning, Owen Schmidt, the runaway beer trekker, Wesley Euler. The one thing we ask of you is to be an ear and tell the ear, tell an ear. There we go. There you go. That's your first one. There you go. First one about your new WVU football podcast in the gun. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.